Man, I got styly, man, I got swag. I'll be in a blue shirt chasing a bag, long ball from the back. That could have been, could have been. That's another trophy, man. I just. You're listening to Chelsea Mic'd Up. I am your emotional host, Mike Ryan Ruiz. With me, as always, my trusty neutral observer, co host, <laughs> Chris Whittingham. Chris, I'm going to need you to talk for a little bit because I need to crack okay. open a water and I am breathy because of what we just witnessed. You were keeled over. You were like, you needed to gain some breath and find your footing so we can get going on this podcast. You are actually reaching back for a bottle of water right now. Open it into the microphone so we get that, the, 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 the good guggling it sound. Uh, it didn't do the soda. It's, it's flat. So <laughs> it didn't do the sound. But uh, I mean, what an absolutely, bo- I mean, our first episode of Chelsea Mic'd Up was us breathlessly reacting to the Ajax game in the Champions League. And we go again. The Champions League has been the theater of entertainment. It has been nonstop madness in this competition. Chelsea, I hope you're listening to this. I know some of you are. I'd really appreciate in the next match against Lille a nice little 3-1. Maybe and and the one comes in like stoppage time. Yeah, if if we can just do that, just for my overall health, I'd appreciate that. Do, do you want to play like a five five zero tactical <laughs> shape? So you just keeping numbers behind the ball. Yeah. Just I'd like to ball. see. I'd like to see Billy Gilmore subbed on in the seventy second <laughs> minute. That's what I want to see entering this final match. And what has been an absolute insane group stage we got excited when we saw the draw because there were some exciting teams here we knew that we'd see some up and down action but i don't think anybody could have seen this coming which is two of the most memorable champions league games i think i have ever witnessed certainly as a chelsea fan and you as a neutral observer it doesn't get much better than what we've seen here lately for chelsea no question like if you ask me after this tournament is over name some of the games that you remember i remember the 4-4 like i'll probably be talking about the 4-4 10 years from now and like it's it, that's how good of a game they were and, and this game against valencia was just so open from start to finish both teams with chances valencia missing two obvious sitters that they have to score and then Chelsea get back into the game the second goal was allowed by VAR VAR we are we here at Chelsea mic'd up big fans of VAR because it gives Christian Pulisic the goal I was was for VAR for exactly like 10 minutes and then (laughs) VAR is like yeah that's an absolute penalty on Jorginho and I wasn't feeling that that was worth a check I, the, the referee should have gone to the monitor to have a look at that one. I wasn't feeling it. Although, yeah. maybe Kepa came off his line a, a, a tad early, so yeah. I guess we just dust off our hands and call it all square. Probably. Especially but, when you consider the chances that were missed. Right, but just sort of like, like going through the game, all the things that happened, all the talking points to dissect, it's just these games have been so memorable. Well, Chris Whittingham, I know you said that you're going to talk about the Ajax 4-4 match. However, they're going to be talking about this forever. You know why? Because Kovacic scored. Oh. That's right, Kovacic scores when he wants, except that second time, but we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> he was feeling froggy. It took like two or three more chances afterwards. Kovacic and Pulisic, who apparently are both Croatian, according to the graphics on the lower third, and now I know Pulisic has Croatian roots, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really spell his way like that, world yeah. feed. If he did, we'd see it by now. Is, is there just an assumption that every Croatian-sounding name has the yeah. itch at the end with the accent over the C? Also, Europe really just can't get away from the Pulisic thing. Yeah, right. They emphasize the U, Ulisic, as for, opposed to Pulisic. Chelsea Mic'd Up is here for you to help yeah. you with your Christian Pulisic pronunciation. Pulisic. Yes. Pulisic. It's. I mean, I, even I will say like Pulisic because yeah. I'm. I'm just so used to it now. If we ever have him on the show, we need to get him to say his name Please. into the microphone once and for all. Yeah. End this. Yes. End this. I mean, we've at least gotten past the stage of the itch. 
you don't hear the itch anymore. Yeah. But can we please get the official syllabic emphasis that is required? Is there an accent on the sea? We need to answer these questions here on Chelsea Mike. Well, we will next month because Chelsea Mike Up is going across the pond mm. and we have a docket of things to do. And on that docket, Americans, Christian Pulisic interview, mm. where we'll get that answer. So excited for that. Yes. So excited for it. <laughs> Hope to God it happens, and yeah. there's like not some knock because that would be tragic just from a football standpoint. But he's also, he's got a knock. Then he's gonna have some time to do an interview. You think? I mean, I mean, I, I, speaking of injuries, Tammy Abraham is yeah. real Lump this up as hate to see it, like not ironically. Yeah, Tammy Abraham was in such great form. He actually played quite well in this game. Had a chance that Valencia made an unbelievable save. That thing was going upper 90. I still don't know how Tammy Abraham got that shot off. Did he shin it in and it was going upper corner? <laughs> I was shin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, Tammy Abraham goes off. The save off. from Jasper Sillison there was absolutely yeah. incredible. Like, and you needed like the fourth camera angle to see <laughs> where exactly it came off his fingertips because you kind of thought that maybe it went out. But I, I honestly, on first viewing, thought it had just gone over the corner. No, it's a ridiculous save. Yeah, it's, it's weird because... It was a four-goal match, and you could really argue that uh, the goalkeeping was quite stellar yeah. in this match. Valencia, I, I don't know, in a vacuum, you can say Valencia got lucky in that that equalizer seemed to me to be a cross. Oh, but, it was definitely a cross. Yes, but you can't say they got lucky considering the opportunities that they missed. Yeah. Some of these point blank. Yeah, there, uh, there were two of them that were goal gaping, you have to turn it in. There were two or three more that were should be beating Kepa, but he comes up with a fantastic save. Yeah, ball gets through, and you know, Chelsea had their chances on the other end. I thought Also had a penalty saved. Yes, yes. Uh, I thought Mason Mount was probably late to uh, a ball in that Reese James played. Mm-hmm. Didn't exactly work out for Chelsea, but let's all breathe together. Mm-hmm. Chelsea, here's where they stand. Win and in. It's yeah. as simple as that. We're going to welcome in Joe Prince, right, to help us discuss this. Yet another level head. I'm going to have two more bottles of water. We'll circle back, and we'll talk about what all this means with Joe Prince Wright of NBC Sports coming up next here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Get the latest Chelsea news straight to your phone. Download the Fifth Stand app, the official Chelsea app. Welcome back to Chelsea Mic'd Up. Now we're joined by Joe Prince Wright, the lead soccer writer for NBC Soccer. And Joe, you just witnessed this game at Valencia from a neutral's point of view, was this as insane as I experienced it? Yeah, it was like a basketball game, wasn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, how <laughs> that wasn't six or seven or... It was great to watch, but if I was a Chelsea or Valencia fan right now, I mean, I would be pulling my hair out. Um, both teams looked disappointed at the end of the, end of the game. I mean, they were on their knees, both players. They gave it everything they had. But for football, I mean, it had everything. I mean, penalty saves, VAR drama... Yeah, it was it was great to watch and definitely live long in the memory. And uh, I feel like that's like a lot of Chelsea games this season. They're definitely, if you're a neutral and you just want to watch a good game of football, uh, turn Chelsea on because uh, you're going to see a lot of goals no matter what. And it was similar to uh, the City match at the weekend, just sort of open for both teams. But it is the rare match, Joe, where both teams can feel like they were hard done by to not get a win and perhaps a bit fortunate that they got a point from the game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think Chelsea really, the, the amount of bad misses that Valencia had, and obviously the penalty save from Kepa was sensational. I think they'll probably be the, the happier of the two teams, especially looking forward to the last match day in the Champions League, at home against Lille, win that. You know, Valencia have got to go away to Ajax and get something, get a result. 
if I'm a Chelsea supporter, I'm pretty happy with how it worked out in the end, considering the amount of chances that Valencia missed and uh, still in a pretty good situation and a really good position to reach the last 16, which I think you guys would agree at the start of the season when Frank Lampard came in, all these young players, if you just said you'd be in the top four hunt and qualifying for the last 16, heading into the festive period, any Chelsea supporter or anybody connected with the club, well, they would have ripped your hand off for that. Yeah, I can confirm your theory. <laughs> be thankful that your hand is not with me and you're not in person because I think I'd chew it off at this point. I do feel fortunate for the draw. This is a wild draw in which both teams actually led. And yeah, considering the opportunities that Valencia missed, I do feel sort of fortunate to get out of there and control our destiny to get into the round of 16, which is not something that I honestly felt like was at all a possibility. Christian Pulisic seems to be locked in into this starting 11. Uh, you're over there. Uh, I know they were initially harsh to Christian Pulisic. Anytime an American sort of walks over, the, especially in this sport, the criticism's always going to be uh, a plenty. But he seems as though he certainly earned the respect of Chelsea fans. What is it like over there in England in regards to Christian Pulisic and how he's performing? I've been lucky enough over the years to watch Christian come through the U.S. ranks and uh, at Dortmund and speak to him and interview him quite a few times and I actually spoke to him one-on-one after the Brighton game earlier this season the 2-0 the win he didn't play again that was in the period where he was an unused sub a lot uh, and just had a good chat with him and they said you know I'm really frustrated but uh, you know the manager's not giving me too much feedback at the moment which is a little bit surprising to me early on but even though he's telling me he was disappointed he was upset you could see the steely determination in his eyes and he he said, you know, I knew I didn't come to Chelsea and think this was going to be easy. I knew it wasn't going to be a walk in the park. And he had that. He's always had that feel, Pulisic. I mean, some people say that maybe he's a little bit too serious. I spoke to some of his coaches in Pennsylvania when he was growing up who said they needed to tell him to calm down and relax a little bit, whether it be playing basketball in his backyard or playing soccer. He takes everything quite seriously and, and uh, puts a lot of pressure on himself to perform. But for me... Um, a lot of intrigue around him. Obviously, they've heard a lot of noise about Pulisic being the best thing that US soccer has ever produced. And I think we can all agree that he already is and he will go on to be. But to come through that battle uh, of not playing early and having a lot of people question you, I think that shows incredible character. And Frank Lampard is someone who really values that. And over the last few weeks when he's been scoring these you know, goals, a glut of goals, really, uh, Watford, Burnley, Palace... Uh, and now against Valencia, the big change I've seen in his game, guys, I'm sure you'll concur with this, is that when he's been out wide, he hasn't been spending a lot of time out there. He's been cutting inside, finding those pockets and gaps of space where he's a bit more comfortable in these central positions. Uh, and the penny just seems to have dropped in the Premier League uh, and maybe even the Champions League. Because I'd argue he's, he's still played pretty well in the Champions League, but definitely in the Premier League, he's finding his way to, to kind of get through that physicality and that extra uh, physical nature of some of the teams. Uh, and he's been a revelation. The big picture is most Chelsea fans don't really care that he's American. They care that he is a incredible player and he's doing the business for him on the pitch week in, week out now. And that's what I wanted to ask you about because he gets a goal in the game against Valencia away. He gets the what we would call the box score contributions, goals and assists in recent times, both in the Premier League and the Champions League. But the thing that you really see is a growing sense of confidence and a comfort on the ball and a decisiveness when he gets the ball of what he's going to do. And it does seem like he's not giving the ball away as much and he's finding teammates in great areas as well. The growth of his game beyond just being in good positions to get goals as he got one in the Valencia game is just sort of a flick on header. You're there to 
to, to get a touch to it. The actual playing of the game, sort of minute in, minute out, I feel like has grown significantly even within his time at Chelsea. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at Pulisic, he's, he's a player that one-on-one, he can destroy defenders, but it's sort of that, can he do it for a whole 90 minutes? Can he stay in the game? Can he mentally... Uh, and, and sort of tactically work out how to get the better players all the time. And the relentless nature of the Premier League just, you know, it, it's coming at you all the time, no matter who you're playing. We've obviously said he scored against Burnley and Palace and, and Watford, not teams that are at the top of the league yet. I think that's his next step for him to produce against the, the Liverpool's Man Cities and, and whatever. But yeah, he to me, he's passed a big test early in his Premier League career because a lot of players... I've come to Chelsea and it hasn't quite worked out for them for whatever reasons when they've been younger. I mean, you only have to look at Lukaku, Salah. It hasn't quite worked out for them. And that was a big turning point. I think around September when he wasn't getting a lot of minutes, he knuckled down, took his chances when it came. He's got the quality. He's in a a great young team with a great young manager. Uh, And I think the main thing for Pulisic is that he's playing in a team which plays to his strengths. They want to get the ball early, uh, cut inside. He's finding those spaces and really linking up with other strikers around him. William, obviously, hopefully Tammy Abraham isn't out uh, for too long now. But it's going to be really interesting to see how he goes on that next step, guys. If, If he can really deliver against the top four teams of the Premier League and in the latter stages of the Champions League because he's passed pretty much every test right now with flying colours for Chelsea. Yeah, you mentioned the players that sort of folded under the weight of what it is to wear that blue shirt. Morata is certainly one of those. He used to wear the number nine. You mentioned Tammy Abraham. Now, a time of recording, we don't know the exact timetable that Tammy mm. Abraham might have to return back into the lineup. It's really tough to see considering he played so well this season. Where did Chelsea go if Tammy is out for any sort of stretch of games here? Does this now fall towards all the opportunities going to Batch Y and Chelsea have established their identity and it'll just be hopefully no drop-off? Yeah, I mean, I think Batch Y is the main man right now. He's delivered off the bench when he's been given those opportunities. But I wouldn't be too surprised to see Giroud come in. I mean, saw over the international break for France. Um, he's great in that hold-up role, bringing other players uh, into play with his, his hold-up play flick cons. And that, to me, would work quite well. It doesn't seem, for whatever reason, that He's the next man up. It seems Batshuayi has that spot right now, but there's two good options there. It is a blow that Tammy Abraham would be out uh, if he is out for a long period of time, given, like you said, the way he's really stepped up to the plate this season. But I think that Chelsea have enough attacking talents underneath a central striker that even if Abraham isn't there and scoring the goals, they can kind of paper over the cracks there and Pulisic, Willian, uh, Mason Mount, Hudson-Odoi, they can all step up and, and... you know, fill that gap in terms of goals and assists. I imagine Chelsea is going to be favored to advance into the round of 16 and take care of business against Lille at Stamford Bridge. You don't want to take that for granted, but uh, I imagine Joe Prince Wright from NBC would sort of agree that that's the expectation. If they get into the round of 16, what is the ceiling for such a young team like this? It's still sort of coming online and finding their identity. Yeah, I don't think many teams are going to want to play them. Obviously, it depends if they finish as group winners or if Ajax, uh, it looks like they could be group winners. So Chelsea would have a lot of tricky opponents there in the last 16 initially. But as we said earlier, they're a great team to watch. They go at teams defensively. There are issues, but going forward, they can hurt opponents. I think by the time, you know, February, March rolls around when these last 16 games are 
are coming up hopefully for Chelsea, that this team will be more mature and they'll be able to handle games uh, in a little bit more mature manner than the one against Valencia. He's Joe Prince, right? Uh, he's making his Chelsea mic'd up debut. We thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Make sure to check out his work with NBC and give him a follow at JPW underscore NBC Sports. And we can tell you as a duo that made the walk from the train to St. Mary's Stadium, that walk is so <laughs> blistering cold. I get, it's colder than the Arctic Circle. It is insane. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's a harsh environment to grow up down there. But when, you, uh, when you're a kid and Matt Letizia is banging in goals from 30 yards out, then... Uh, it warms the cockles uh, a little bit. So. <laughs> and it warms the cockles is definitely a phrase that I'm just going to straight up steal. <laughs> you can have it, my friend. You oh, can have it. <laughs> thank you. Courtesy of Joe Prince. Right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Chris, I know we've done two segments, and I've since had five bottles of water. I've peed three times. <laughs> One time I didn't even get up for it. You, took, so a nap, you, you took a nap after the Joe Prince Wright interview. Left a bit of a mess here on the chair. You're going to have to get around to that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, you know. I, 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 Listen, I understand I'm just your so nerves. adrenally fatigued that I can't wipe can, myself. Can I ask you a question? When Joe Prince Wright says, for the neutral, this is so fun. Do you go, yeah, I'm having fun. Are you having fun? Are these games fun for you? I, I, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Look, Chelsea have won plenty of trophies <laughs> yeah. playing anti-football, yeah. right? Park the bus, go up 1-0, and the other team won't get an opportunity. I'm getting used to this new brand of football. It is a bit stunning to me. However, it is damn exciting. Yeah. And it's pretty awesome that an American is right in the middle of it. at the center of this yeah. exciting play. I know he had Champions League moments at Dortmund, but... For an American to do this with an absolute clamor club, and I'm not doing this to insult Borussia Dortmund. Just Chelsea is a tier above, at least here in the States. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about the European perception, but Chelsea is a tier above. Chelsea is a name that casual sports fans in America that don't even pay attention to soccer know. Where Borussia Dortmund is a little bit more of a stretch. And he's played well in the Champions League for them. But to have an American... At the center of go-ahead goals in big-time Champions League matches like this is out of this world bizarre. This is foreign. This is whole. It's a whole new chapter in U.S. soccer history, I think. And it's that next great step in soccer's progression here in the United States and growth. And I'm so out of breath. I'm so <laughs> tired. I'm so emotionally drained. I. You know what? I'm revving high, brother. <laughs> The heart is pounding. <laughs> Kovacic scored. And I, that you would think, if I told you, entering a Champions League game, Kovacic scores, that's probably going to be the talking point, right? The headline, yeah. <laughs> it's like the seventh headline from this game. You know what I love so much from uh, from that goal was Frank Lampard's reaction to Yes. Because you can tell Lampard, we, we've read reports from Cobham that Lampard has, has been working with Kovacic, and, and this was coming. This goal yeah. was absolutely building. And he felt it was, I think he's even vocalized that in the press. He's like, we, we know that it's going to happen for him. It's going to yeah. happen. I, I know we're breathy, and we're talking about what happened just in this moment, and it's the most recent thing that we saw. But there was an exciting game that happened at the Etihad Stadium yes. that we absolutely have to discuss. Chelsea, another match where Chelsea go up 
in a game and don't exactly come away with all three. Well, not exactly. They flatly don't come away with three points. Man City absolutely needed to have this game. Yeah, It was far more important. They have to hold serve at home. They're trying to get back into a title race. They didn't see themselves entering this season below Chelsea on points in the table at this point in November. They absolutely needed it. They played like a desperate team. And honestly, to Chelsea's credit, they didn't back down. How many times do we see teams try to go at the Etihad and play with Manchester City and take the game to them? They usually And succeed. And, and succeed. succeed right? And succeed. Normally you lose 6-1 when that happens. They I, usually, Spurs when it did that once. They got hammered. Yeah, that usually goes in a very, very bad direction. And Chelsea, Chelsea hung on. Now, they got a little fortunate with a Kepa giveaway to Sergio Aguero. And Man City did get fortunate, I think, on, on two of the goals. The first goal, mm-hmm. the deflection, that's a tough break. I'm not exactly sure if uh, Tamori getting five-hold was the expectation, but that was <laughs> the result. And they go up 2-1, and that ends up being all she wrote, even though Chelsea had a few chances. The Tamori miss opportunity really sticks out. I felt like as the game went on, it was, you know me, I'm big on put the ball in the frame. Weird things can happen. We saw it with Valencia where Chelsea actually had the bounce mm-hmm. on that bad schwai cut inside and it takes a deflection. Yeah. And, and Sillison sticks a leg out and somehow gets it. Makes another brilliant save. <laughs> I like putting the ball in the frame and I felt like Man City, for their goals to a degree, they made their own luck. Of course. And you have to put the ball on frame in order to get some of those lucky bounces, in order to get a big-time result at Manchester City when... I think most experts would say you're going into that game outmatched. To me, the stat that most captures this game is from at OptaJoe on Twitter. 46.74, Man City's possession figure of 46.74% today is the lowest recorded by a side managed by Pep Guardiola in any of his 381 top flight matches in charge. That is an incredible statistic in any league match with Barcelona, with Bayern, with City. And not the fact that it happened, but it happened at the Etihad is an absolute stunner. And I give all the credit to Chelsea in the world for how they played, particularly the opening half hour. I think after that stage, City grew into the game, they got their chances, they got their goals, and Chelsea didn't really have that defining chance of the second half. But again, it's stylistically how Frank Lampard wants to build his team is, we're going to go away to City, and we're going to play, and we're going to try and go at them, and we're going to make life difficult, and we're going to make their vulnerable defenders put under pressure, and maybe Chelsea need to be more than more than 1-0 up when De Bruyne gets that opportunity, and that's how you go on to win the game. But I just, I love the way that they played. They, they play with all the confidence and the lack of fear away to Man City and a lot of teams. I mean, even the best teams in the world in the Champions League don't go and do that. I thought it was a great performance, and I thought Frank Lampard set up his team brilliantly. When I saw the starting 11, I was like, okay, this is a defensive lineup. Mounts out, and you have Kovacic, Jorginho, and Conte in your midfield, but the result is they ended up taking the game there. Also, another takeaway, I know this is a long season. Christian Pulisic can speak to this when all the articles are being written about him out of favor and English uh, American hot takers are saying, should he put in for a transfer, which is (laughs) absurd. But at this point in time, it would appear that the winner of the contest between Marcus Alonso and Emerson for playing time (laughs) appears to be Reese James. Yeah. And it speaks to the the versatility of Azpilicueta, I think, who I know a lot of people want to point to. Maybe he's not as quick of a player, but he is absolutely essential. Not only is he your captain, leader, legend, but Dave can move all around that back line and it's hugely important that versatility especially as he ages and we get into more and more cup ties and you get deeper and deeper into european competition as is showing you that as he ages 
one of the main things that's going to keep him getting playing time is that versatility. Yeah, and he's almost the single reason that Chelsea have tactical flexibility. We've seen three systems from them this year. We've seen 4-2-3-1 with Mason Mount playing it behind the striker. In these last two games, uh, the Valencia match and the uh, Man City match, we've seen a 4-3-3 with Conte, Jorginho, and Kovacic all in that midfield. And we've seen the five at the back where Aspiliqueta moves into the back three and Aspiliqueta is responsible for the for the flexibility in all three of those systems. He is so important to what they do and I, I don't think that every fullback has to be Marcelo, where they get forward and they're basically a winger that you know plays starting as a left back. Aspiliqueta offers a different skill set that maybe Reese James complements perfectly. I, I love the way that those two combine. It's great to have players like Reese James and Mason Mount and uh, and even Tamori occasionally messes around and gets in there. And we've seen Kurzuma feel a little <laughs> froggy. Even in this match against yep. Valencia, he felt a little froggy to make some runs. To be able to give other players a rest and not be so dependent on one player making a run yeah. into the box, as Chelsea historically kind of were, especially when Eden Hazard had the ball at his feet, it's refreshing to see. We've said this before. They're too deep at every position. Yeah. And, and they have all kinds of options. I mean, we saw— How are they too deep at every position considering they're in a transfer ban? It's incredible. It's, it, it's, it's what the academy bringing through, you know, James, Abraham, Mount, Tamori— you bring back Zuma from alone, and that's you basically introduce five players into the squad that are all up for it, that are all capable of playing at this level. It's fundamental to how well they've been, how well they've played this year. It's been a really fun episode. We're going to preview. We have another match on deck. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even really wrap my mind around uh, the upcoming picture about West Ham. But we'll try to talk it out. A West Ham preview coming your way next. <laughs> All right, Chris, I've painted you as a neutral observer, mm. even though that got a little dicey last week. Well, you know. But hey. We handled it well. I will put you on pedestal and let you shine as you try to explain to me what Chelsea have coming up here against West Ham. But before we get to the rational, let's get to the emotional. Yes. Jose Mourinho mm. is back in the Premier League, and this is the first time we get to address it here on Chelsea Miked Up. Now, Chris, we've known each other for years. Yeah. Who's my favorite manager in all of football? Jose Mourinho. Number one with a bullet. My yeah, friend. like I mean, there's not even a close second. Yes. Even when he went to Manchester United, even when he got sacked, and the mm-hmm. whole footballing world is laughing at Jose Mourinho, who am I still touting? Jose Mourinho. And, and like, it's, it's not just like a, I like Jose Mourinho, it's I believe everything that he stands for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm in on all of it. How am I feeling right now with Jose Mourinho managing Tottenham Hotspur? You tell me. I'm done with him. Wow. I'm done. You're done? I'm done until he gets sacked, which is going to happen. (laughs) But I'm done. Okay. This is egregious. This is egregious. Yeah. I mean, even in his own words, he said he'd never do something like this to us. I know he is absolutely desperate to get back into the game. I think this move displays that. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe he's at Tottenham. I I honestly think it's the only big club that would take him. And I I think that's why when you're you're willing to sacrifice your principles – when it's all you've got left. Let's talk a little bit about this fit. Yeah. And I'll get over the emotion and of losing. Although I, I, He's I not do, a Chelsea man in my mind anymore. I, I need some time. I actually want to feed into your emotion. I found that quote to be infuriating. And I'm a neutral observer. Like I found it infuriating because, wait a second. So basically you're just saying that all the things that I say in press conferences yep. are BS to placate a fan base up until the point that I actually have to make a decision in which case, oh yeah, I'll just go ahead and be the Tottenham manager. Like, you're a club legend. You take on 
your Chelsea-ness, all that you've managed them twice, you've won trophies with them, you took all this pride in being the Chelsea manager, that stops because there's another job available? Like, you are either a mercenary or you are a club legend. You cannot be both. Well, Chris, you mentioned that he's a club legend, but here's an actual club legend, one that would never betray me, even though he kind of wore a Manchester City shirt, but it's not the same as Tottenham. Here is Frank Lampard, courtesy of the Fist Stand app, by the way. Best place to get post-game sound. Chelsea's official app, the Fist Stand app. Make sure to go ahead and get it. Here is what Frank Lampard had to say about the possibility of maybe one day managing Tottenham. I can, I can firmly say no, and, uh, and you can replay that again in 10 years or whatever you want. But no, it, it wouldn't happen. But I, I think things are different. You know, as I say, Jose Mourinho works for a lot of football clubs, and we have to respect his right to work. Um, on the other hand, I was here for 13 years um, as a player, have an absolutely deep feeling for the club, and I obviously went to Manchester City for a year at the end of my career, but Chelsea is certainly um, something very close to my heart, hence why I'm so proud to manage this club, and hence why, unfortunately, I wouldn't uh, manage Tottenham, and that's no disrespect to Tottenham, I've got a lot of friends that are Tottenham fans and uh, and Arsenal fans, etc., but sometimes there are feelings when you're in it that there are some things you wouldn't do, not disrespectful to the club, but just because of what Chelsea's given me. That is how you handle that, and I believe him. There's no way that sounds coming back to bite us. Put that in a, some sort of vault. Yes. Put that in, in an <laughs> yeah. archive somewhere. Yes. Sound labeled, never going to bite us. Yes, never. I do love how Frank sort of dismissive, <laughs> dismissively said, Jose Mourinho, he's managed a lot of clubs. <laughs> yeah. And he even went for some of my best friends are Tottenham fans. <laughs> Which I love. <laughs> I love. Uh, I'm firmly in Team Petty. Remember, as a Miami <laughs> Heat fan, I feel like we were born in it. Um, so... Here's the thing about Jose Mourinho being at Spurs, outside of it absolutely hurting me because he's my favorite of all time. This is a weird fit. <laughs> this doesn't make, doesn't make sense. Any sense. No. This doesn't make sense. You have a manager that's always complaining about spending money, mm. even in instances which his club spends loads of money and he's not he exactly four hundred million in Manchester United for him. Not the most self aware guy, Jose Mourinho. <laughs> I'm not sure if you know this. But either way, recent history would suggest this club's not big spenders in the in the transfer market. So that's a, a bizarre fit. We'll see if that changes with the winter window. And also, stylistically, yeah. They're an attacking side. And, and and they've always like prided themselves on beauty and style of play. Like yeah. even though we're not winning, you're gonna have fun watching a Spurs match. Yes. And they would tout that when they would lose to teams like Jose Mourinho's Chelsea. Right, exactly. And for them to sort of sell out their principles here, I do agree that the Pochettino thing was coming at its end. I don't think that this was a logical place. I know at the time they made the move they were fourteenth. It seemed as though we were inevitably headed towards a breakup between Poach and Spurs. It was a shocking, yeah. as almost as shocking as the, the sacking, though, was the hire of Jose Mourinho. Sometimes you have to go counterculture. And they Spurs, with this core, I think we saw what their absolute ceiling was. And he was losing in the Champions League final and dropping those late results to go all in the Premier League, to go all in on the Champions League final because they weren't deep, because they weren't actually spending money to help their depth issues. They do have to do something different. This is drastic. Yeah, It's crazy enough that it might work, but I'm not exactly 100% sure. And given the recent history of Jose Mourinho, it's very likely that it won't. Yeah, I mean, at Manchester United, it flatly didn't work. Now, he in his press conference, was talking about the group of players that he has, and he loves a group of players. And they've gone out and they won two games by a combined 7-4. They were entertaining. They were fun. So maybe Jose has changed a little bit. But it's it's about the man management things. Like Pochettino and Spurs, they seem like they have like such a nice and you know win-one-for-the-manager kind of environment. And that's not at all what Jose brings. And so I'm just like, I'm waiting for when that 
explosiveness happens because you know it's coming. You know me. The only thing, the only product I like to tout on Chelsea Mic'd Up is the Fist Sand app. However, <laughs> if this Amazon show does oh. indeed pull back the curtain on this entire experience, both the sacking and hiring, you're going to get free live raids here, bud. <laughs> this show is must watch television. Mourinho comes in and defeats Chelsea's upcoming opponent, West Ham. Now they go up 3 0, and West Ham climb back into that match and make the score. Uh, not really reflect the kind of match it no, was. It was 3-2, but Jose Mourinho starts off his uh, Tottenham managerial career with a win, and West Ham looked to me as a club that's certainly lost its way. They got off to a really good start for West Ham. And yeah, I mean, I think they were third at one point, <laughs> yeah. like in October. Yeah, so what can Chelsea fans expect with this upcoming fixture against West Ham, their rivals from London? Their only hope is that it's a London derby, and at some point they're going to get a reaction because they have they're they're too good of a team. They have too many good players that can have a really good day. We saw one of them a year ago. We went and saw Felipe Anderson at Southampton. Yes, absolutely boss a game and win yes. three points on his I own. I overrate Felipe Anderson <laughs> just based off of that random Tuesday. It was a Tuesday yeah. night fixture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the only game in town. Felipe Anderson absolutely tore Southampton up. And I've made several regrettable fantasy moves <laughs> revolving around Felipe Anderson as a centerpiece of a team. And you. You can tell how that's gone for it, me. It probably didn't go very great. But although you are top of our fantasy group, so so well done you. But um in oh, terms not anymore. Not anymore? No, FC Mo Money. Oh no, I have to change my team. Oh name. no. FC Mo Money need to yeah, we're second in the table, <sighs> searching for ourselves. We've sacked yeah. Pochettino and we're, <laughs> we're looking for a drastic change. But we're not hiring our namesake though. Man, I gotta change my fantasy team. My fantasy team name is Mo Money. Oh, Damn no. it. I actually see the sadness on your face. Uh, now, in terms of West Ham, the only hope is that they don't get a bounce because uh, it's two points in the last 21, five losses in their last seven with two draws. They've been horrific since their goalkeeper, our our favorite Lucas Fabianski, went out. Absolute legend. Fr- friend of the show, Fabianski, even, even though, though he doesn't never play for Chelsea. You don't and- know us, Fabs, <laughs> but we have an entire group chat dedicated <laughs> to how amazing you are and how highly we regard you. Yes. You got done dirty at Swansea, sir. And you dirty. showed the world when you were the most valuable player last season and, if anything proves it, this season. He won two points since he's gone out. Yes, yeah, so this season proves how valuable you are, Lucas Fabianski. You absolute legend, you. <laughs> but uh, it, it's been atrocious. Their backup, by the way, it, Roberto, the worst goalkeeper I've ever seen in the Premier League. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we can go down the years. He is awful. But, uh, I mean, yeah, the only hope is that they don't find something and that they continue to slide. And, and if they don't, I think it'll be a, a comfortable victory for Chelsea Well, on I think at the time of this recording, the biggest break that West Ham had is probably that knock to Tammy Abraham. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how this screws up Chelsea's chemistry, introducing a new striker, whether it's Giroud or Bashwai, into that starting eleven. We're going to wrap things up here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Coming up next, please, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, subscribe, rate, and review. Share with your Chelsea-loving friends. If you go to the pub uh, every week to watch Chelsea, you're on that fifth stand app, and you look up your local flagship, just mention this podcast name. Hey, have you guys heard Chelsea Mic'd Up? Because, really, this is done for you. Really, it's a Chelsea football podcast, but it's done by Americans. Most of you listening to this, we've seen the numbers, are American. So get the word out there because big things are coming on this podcast. We are affiliated with the club. We're going to get pretty great access for you and all your Chelsea-loving friends. So please, support what we're doing. We're working hard on it. Back to close things out after this. Chelsea! Chelsea! 
Remember, we want to keep things interactive here on Chelsea Mike Tap, and you could use our comment section on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get our podcasts to interact with us. Also, reach out to us directly on our social media handles at Michael Ryan Ruiz for me, at Chris Whittingham. Reach out to us and answer some of these questions that we put out there to the audience. Last episode, we asked you, the Chelsea supporter who listens to Chelsea Mic'd Up, which non-traditional rival do you despise the most? I offered up PSG. I should have mentioned Barcelona. Yeah. But because Fernando Torres scored that goal <laughs> and we lifted the trophy, I don't have to come out here and complain about, how didn't we get a penalty, not one, against Barcelona. The refs stole it from us. I don't need to do that now. Mm. Even though Barcelona- You got the last laugh. Barcelona since then, because that snake, Thibaut Courtois, can't <laughs> close the five hole, especially in your post- I'm sorry, I'm doing the emotional... that Lionel Messi guy? Yeah, but he made Messi look like Messi. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. Like, close your legs against Messi. What are you doing, man? Messi can put it anywhere. Why is he putting it there? Why are you allowing it there? Near post. I I don't want to get into it. Okay. Breathe. I just haven't been right since Jose Mourinho. (laughs) (laughs) Since you realize you have to change your Mo Money fantasy team. That's a bummer, too. (laughs) I got to go back to Conte Goat emoji. Conte Goat FC. Uh, so we had a couple people reach out to us, and you Chelsea fans, we're, we're pretty predictable. The non-traditional rival that uh, that someone left on our comment section that mm-hmm. I think I enjoyed the most was Tottenham. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. <laughs> right. I, I do feel like the explanation is at least semi-worth considering, though. Tottenham. I understand Tottenham is a London team. However, I'm an American who doesn't feed a local rivalry the same way as supporters in London. I just can't stand how trendy of a team Tottenham is in the USA for new fans of the EPL. I so agree with this. If you're just trying to get into the Premier League, it seems as though it's like some sort of birthright that you have to pick Tottenham as yeah. your team to just try to prove that, hey, I'm this guy that likes never win- lifting trophies. And I then, like clubs that are on the, on the come up. I, I like yeah. clubs that never spend I'm money. Not a, I'm not a glory hunter. Yeah, I'm not a glory hunter. You're absolutely you're worse than a glory hunter because you're fitting such a mold. Yeah. It, I, I've seen you coming from miles away, you Tottenham glory hound. I can't even believe that Tottenham's like a glory club now. We're planning on actually going to their new stadium, so maybe I should dial back the rhetoric some. <laughs> uh, but you know, we're going to be with the away fans, and we're yeah. you know we're going to you know call you, Tottenham what they are. I used to dislike Arsenal with this sort of passion, but if you can recall, these matches lately with Spurs, they've been really physical, really entertaining. Tempers have flared mm. between the players in ways that they haven't really flared between Arsenal and Chelsea. And now that Jose Mourinho's there. There is a match that's being played before the actual match, and that's the lead-up in the press conferences. And, Frank, you know what you're dealing with. You played for the man, so you better bring your A game. And I like the dismissive, I have friends who support Tottenham. That's a good start. (laughs) We're going to have to ratchet it up. All right, Frank, uh, what else can you tell us about the uh, comments section, Chris? Yes, we want to do a new one this week. So you and I, we went to a pub together uh, to go and watch the Chelsea-Man City game. more than just one, Chris. Oh, right. I mean, we've been to many <laughs> pubs down the years. Uh, R.I.P. Fado, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just so sad. We, 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 we lost our pub. I feel like anyone can relate to that. We lost our pub. But thanks to the fist stand up, I found Lost Boy. We found a new one. Uh, and so the new uh, question that we have for you is, Give us your best pub experience, the best experience you've had going to a pub to watch Chelsea 
and just the the scene and people spill beer on you and fans of the other team were singing and then you got to sing back your best pub experience man i got i got two that really stick out both times chelsea won a european trophy one of them is at the aforementioned fado that was in brickle down here in miami when chelsea won champions league in that absolute classic final i feel like we've mentioned 2012 in every episode <laughs> so i'm just going to touch should, on that. as we should just going to touch on that and mention that lost boy uh, it, down here in downtown miami who i mean it's still ultimately a Miami bar, so every time Chelsea scores, there's this fog machine that blasts yes. at you at 500 miles per hour. It makes a very loud noise. Yeah, it makes a very loud noise, and it's truly fun to see someone that's sitting under there that has no idea it's coming. <laughs> it never gets old. <laughs> but the Europa League final is a yeah. you know, midweek uh, fixture. You're not expecting this huge turnout. Packed to the gills. Yeah. ESPN's Chris Fowler, who is a blue, who we'll have on this podcast, I'm sure of it, was out there, and it was a beautiful thing to see because it's it turned into an absolute laugher, not just in score, but I mean, come on, when you do that to Arsenal, <laughs> when you do that to Arsenal and you keep them out of Champions League, it's just... And even though it's the official Chelsea supporters bar, there are a few Arsenal fans there, yeah, and the fact they were just so overwhelmed, like just watching them be sad was a delight. Chef's kiss. Oh. Chef's kiss. So that's uh-huh. up there in my all-time uh, memories. Make sure to let us know your favorite pub memories while you're supporting Chelsea in our comments section. Subscribe rate, review. And if you really love us, you'll do that a couple of times because there mm. are algorithms we're trying to trick here. People. Resubscribe. Yeah, resubscribe. Review. Well, yes. Re-review. 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 You turn into Scooby-Doo. Re-review. Re-review, right? I didn't even know I did a Scooby-Doo. How about that? I'm learning things about myself. That's what happens when I You're just get so endless, adrenally fatigued watching Champions League. Endless of all the impersonations you are. Right, <laughs> review.